Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Jill Hunter. She is a leadership coach. She has 25 years experience working as a pharmacist in various healthcare settings. She helps teams, leaders, supervisors, and managers learn to lead with empathy and increase productivity. Jill, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Amy. This is great. Yeah. So how did you become a leadership coach? What is your journey that got to you where you are today? It started probably 15 years ago. I would watch the top producing pharmacists get promoted into management. And sometimes I had eight directors in 10 years, which is why I watched this over and over again. And then I'd watch this top producing pharmacist and they would turn around and say, now you need to teach everyone else how to do what you did. I thought, well, that's kind of odd. Not all of us can be top producing. We work as a team. And I thought, okay, let's see what happens. And next thing you know, a month or two later, this new manager would be telling us to work harder and faster, which is difficult when you're a pharmacist because you need to get it right. And the technicians feel the same way. And then they would pull us into a a giant all, all hands on deck meeting and say, you know, we need you to work faster. And if you can't handle it, they're going to replace you with someone that can. Just feel the air leave the room as people were like, what? Hurry up, get back to your stations and get back to work. And after that, this happened more than once. And each time I'd have a different person following back to my workstation and say, hey, Jill, do you think he's serious? I'm like, well, he's probably gonna make an example of someone. And they'd burst out into tears. I'm like, oh gosh, I didn't mean to make them cry, but they were so upset. They're like, I can't do my job any faster and not risk someone's life. It's not that easy. And that's when I realized like something is really wrong with the management style here. They were managing us by fear. And I knew there was a better way. When I got the opportunity to be a director of pharmacy, I led with empathy and I made my people feel valued, supported and understood. And when I did that, the productivity went through the roof because they knew I had their back and they were no longer in fear for their jobs. And that is what I teach others to do now. So I guess I started about 15 years ago on this journey to become a leadership coach. That's amazing. So I'm walking through your journey now. What are you grateful for? I am grateful for all the opportunities I've had in my career. I've worked retail pharmacy, and then I had the opportunity to work long-term care pharmacy, servicing patients in nursing homes. I had the opportunity to run a IV manufacturing facility. I've done R&D work. I've also done sales and marketing for medical device companies. And so I feel like I've had nine lives. And in each life, I learn something new, learn more about myself and learn more about the world and how it works because each job gave me a different point of view. And now as a leadership coach, I get to experience even more as my clients work in all different industries and I get to learn about what they do at work too. So why is focusing on numbers and the bottom line, not a good idea and to increase productivity and what is a better approach? When you focus only on the bottom line, people feel dehumanized 
and devalued. And they understand that they can be replaced at any time. So they don't give 100% every day. They give 50 to 70% if you ask them. They're like, it doesn't matter whether I, as long as I meet the minimum, which would mean the average at 50%, as long as I hit 51%, I'm fine. My job's secure. Why do I need to give more than that? I'm just gonna kind of take it easy, collect the paycheck, put in the eight hours and go home. Better way to do that is to engage the employees and make sure that they feel like the outcome at the end of the day, they had a part in it. Not that they were just one of the masses doing the same job, but they actually made a difference. And when someone feels like they make a difference, they put so much more effort into it. They feel excited when they go home and they tell their friends or their spouse about what they did that day. And they take pride in their work. When you dehumanize someone, they, there is no pride at work. It's all fear of when's the next boss coming along and when might they let me go? Yeah, that dreaded question. Come into my office. We need to talk. <laughs> I can tell you, your heart just sinks right into your stomach. It's yeah. Like, you're like, what? You know? Yeah, definitely. And when you don't get that external, you're right. I think back to certain positions that I've been in that maybe because I was higher up in the pecking order, I didn't necessarily get a lot of recognition or pats on the back or whatever. And I think that you have to remember that everybody needs that. Everyone needs encouragement, even leadership. Am I being a good leader to you? I think that's really good. That's true. The, the feedback needs to go up and down the ladder. Yeah. So in what ways do you help optimize productivity for employees? I help empower the employees so that they feel like the outcome at the end of the day is partly theirs. Get their buy-in. Don't just change a policy and force it down the ranks. Upper management isn't doing the job. So when it's time to change a policy, I like to enlist the help of every single worker that's touches their lives and impacts them. Let them have input into how it should be done. And then they're more likely to adhere to it and feel like it's being done the best possible way, not just the way the company says. I think that's really good because how many times have you been a part, or I've been even a part of an organization where you know, you sit in a room and, you know, the monitors are on and there's a message from the CEO and this is the changes that are going to happen. And, you know, surprise, surprise, and everyone's shocked of everything's about to go down or they try to mask over it. We're going through some changes, but it's kind of the same types of emails and messages that come out. And when they start coming out, you recognize them because mm-hmm. everyone uses the same ones. And they're very politically correct and to not cause anyone to like freak out, but you know, that heads are about to roll layoffs are about to come all of that. But to your point, even if you have to downsize and having that discussion with people, they don't want them to everyone to mass exit and get afraid and all of that kind of thing. But it seems to me that there could be a better way to handle some of those messages, even before they get to that point of having to do these sudden messages of change that they could incorporate people that, you know, have worked there for 50 years. (laughs) And that's part of being honest. One of the things I teach people to do is communicate honestly. And one of the parts is tell them what you know. Okay, we need to let three people go or 10 or 50 or 100 people go right now to make the numbers for the end of the month so we can make payroll, whatever. Be honest, 
and also address the next question, which is, is this the only layoffs we're gonna have? And you can say, I certainly hope so, but I can't guarantee it. Like, I don't like this any more than you do. It's difficult for me. I know morale is going to struggle for the next few weeks as things change. And we try and pick up the work of the people who are no longer with us and talk about it that way, where honesty gets you somewhere. Hopefully it's not always a heavy message like that, though. What are some ways to inspire employees that seemed disengaged? First, you need to establish trust with these people. Establish trust as from manager to employee and develop rapport, showing them that you care. I have a whole care leadership model based on this. So the C is for communicate honestly, which we already talked about. The A is for attentively listen. Listen to what they say, listen to what they don't say, and be attentive there. Reassure people that they're a valuable part of the company. If people don't feel like they are valued, then they're not going to open up and want to tell you anything. And then the E is for empathize deeply. The other thing you can do is say thank you. At the end of the day, pick out one thing that your employee did that you knew was a difficult project or made a difference and just say, hey, thanks today. I know today wasn't easy and I really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. And just a sincere thank you, but call out something that they did so they know you're not just, hey, thanks for everything you did today. And you didn't really recognize them for one thing. That helps. I agree with that. I've had a lot of people say in my career, I think back to say, thanks for everything you did today. And you're thinking, do you even know? <laughs> right. You know? So you mentioned a few types of poor management styles, yes, man, culture, fear management, and micromanagement. What is the first step into shifting cultures like this? And can they change for the better? You can change these cultures for the better. Create a culture first where it's okay and almost expected to challenge status quo. So in the yes, man culture, people are afraid to challenge an idea. Even if it's go jump off that cliff with, you know, no parachute is 30 feet down into a bunch of rocky water. You need to go and do that, not challenge it. If you create the environment where it's okay, do we need to head that way down to the cliff? Like, can we walk down the stairs or, or do something else? If it's a good environment, people are willing to bring ideas front forward because sometimes they're going to get supported and they're going to make a difference. The other thing you want to do is remember, my best example is, is I took over when I was director of pharmacy. It was a fear management culture that I walked into. So my employees, it was all women. I had a male pharmacist and all of my technicians were females. And believe it or not, it was a dog-eat-dog -dog culture. They were competitive with each other. They were trying to compete for printers and scales in the clean room and, and all these different things that you wouldn't expect because if they got there first, then they got to go home earlier. They were working two to three hours overtime a day. And so they just became competitive instead of helping each other. It was like, get out of my way. I need to leave. Let me through. And I walked in and I'm not a fear manager. I manage with empathy, but you can't say that. Like they had to see what I did. And I started to say thank you. I started to gain their trust one by one. 
And within 45 days, I was able to turn the culture around to a culture where they supported each other. They got along mostly. I was not a miracle worker. I didn't make every little quibble go away, but I was able to see how to divide the work and conquer things and work together so that over time went from two to three hours a day to maybe 15, 20 minutes a day. And they were much happier because they weren't in mandatory overtime. And I was happier because we were getting what we needed to get done more efficiently and people weren't at each other's throats. So it can be done and you can change a culture, but it does need to come from the top. Yeah. What are some of the top mistakes you see leaders make? The biggest mistake I see leaders make is treating every employee the same. They don't want to play favorites. I'm not saying it's good to play favorites, but you need to acknowledge people for what they do. And everyone brings a little bit different skill set, strength to the table. And each day it might come out differently. If you acknowledge and notice what they do different compared to their coworkers who might have the same job title, acknowledge them for what they did, then suddenly they feel like, wow, he or she noticed me. Like, I guess I am doing a good job. And just point out those things. They don't want to be they know they're not the same as the person next to them. So don't treat them the same as the person next to them. That's good. So what does more empathy in the workplace look like? I'm going to tell an example of one of my clients and what he did. One of my clients, his team works remote. And this summer, one of the guys on his team was having a bad day. And so this boss sent him lunch at his house. <laughs> he like DoorDash delivered lunch to his house um, just to try and make his day a little bit better. That's having empathy is, is he knew he needed to try and pick him up somehow. And it's hard when you're working remote and you can't like go over and have that little chit chat and stuff like that. So he actually sent him lunch. And I think that made a big difference in that employee's day that day. So what are some of your client success stories? bunch of clients' success stories. I had one client who, she was actually out of work due to the pandemic. She was furloughed for a long time, finally decided to start looking for a job, but was in industry that really hasn't come back. She was an event planner. And we all know that there's very few events happening in person, especially at hotels. And she's like, I don't really want to go back into that line of work. I've done it for 10 years or more. I'm good at it, but there's no job security right now. As long as COVID's still around, that job can come and go, depending on where the next wave's coming. So we work together and realize that the skills for an event manager are very similar to that project management. She would manage 200 projects a year, and then she was going to change industries too. So it takes a while when you're trying to change what you do and the industry that you work in. And she was able to land a job right around Labor Day in a project management role in marketing in a fully remote company. Wow. And she is happy as anything. The CEO of the company even reached out to her on her second week. He's still trying to hire more people. And he said, you know, I just interviewed someone who didn't have a clue about the company or what we did and the job. 
and I need to hire another one of you because you're awesome at what you do. So that's one story. Had another client this summer. He really wanted to change companies and look for something different. He was muting 45 minutes to and from work, two weeks vacation, making a decent salary. And we managed to find him another position fully remote. So he saves 45 minutes each way each day, 20% more money and unlimited vacation time. He feels like he won the lottery. He's like, I finally feel like I have a life. I'm getting paid for what I should have been getting paid all along. I was underpaid at my other job. And this is fantastic. And then another client was out of work for a few months. She was contract work. The contract had ended. She was looking, wasn't sure what she wanted to do. I really want to work with you on leadership stuff. Like I know I could potentially be a leader, but maybe my next position, I'm like, you used to manage project manage 18 to 20 people. That's leading. She's like, no, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready. And we worked together for about five months and then finally got the opportunity for her to be a project lead with a very well-known company. And she's still working with me on her leadership as she's trying to get to know the team better, be able to motivate them, work together. But when she took that position, they offered, they lowballed her in price. And I just want to say anyone looking for a job right now in 2021, don't accept the first offer if she pushed back. And when she pushed back, they gave her an extra week's vacation. So she got three weeks vacation and an extra $35,000 in wow. salary Nice for a year by just pushing back. So I just want to say to everyone, if you're looking, don't accept what they're going to offer you in the beginning, because chances are you can do better for yourself. I think my fees are completely wrong if people are making that much by simply pushing back. <laughs> but I should be more like a recruiter and take a percentage of salary. Yeah, right. <laughs> but anyway, it's still a pleasure to work with her. Now our company pays for us to work together. So it's a bonus for both of us. I still get to support her and she doesn't have to pay for me anymore. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. What do you think of your truth has been that has gotten you this far in your journey? I'm an eternal optimist. I see the good in everyone. Now that I'm coaching people one-on-one, -on -one, I'm able to bring that good out in them. And sometimes they haven't seen it in themselves in years. They've been pushed and prodded by corporate culture is saying you need to act a certain way and you can't be yourself. And they're so frustrated because they're like, I know I can do this job but they don't see that I can. And when I start working with them, their personality starts coming again and they start to glow and they start their, everything picks up about them. And it's so nice to see people finally come alive again. I wish I could help more people than just one-on-ones. So if you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out in your journey, what would it be? Follow my heart sooner. I had a dream when I was a kid I really wanted to be the CEO of a pharmaceutical company. And so I kept trying to fill that dream. It's like, okay, that's the vision I have. I really want to go there. So I became a pharmacist, started working for a pharmaceutical company, you know, started working my way up in marketing and then watched the director of marketing change every 18 months. And I'm like, I don't know that that's job security. Let me try a different way. And I tried all these different ways to get to that goal. And what I would tell myself now is 
it's okay to change your goal because I don't really think I'd like it as a CEO of a pharmaceutical company, especially on New York Stock Exchange, trying to manage shareholder expectations and all of that. My heart really lies in people and helping them. And now that I'm doing that, I feel more alive than I ever did in some of the other jobs I've had over the years. And I think follow your passion and it's okay if you want to change your dreams from time to time. I love that. I agree. Because I think sometimes we get so stuck on, you know, you hear people say, what was your dream as a kid and go after that? Or what's your passion and go after that? And I've always had sort of a sense of what my passion is right now. And I would go after that passion, but it, they've throughout my life it has consistently changed, but it finally, it all led to where I'm at today and it all culminates and comes together. So I absolutely agree that number one, change your passion as you need to change your goals as you need to and realize it's a journey and not necessarily an end destination. Yeah. And don't ever think of yourself as a failure for giving up on one of your dreams. It's not a failure. It's just, you woke up to the idea that, you know what, what I know now, that's not where I want to go. Yes. This is the direction I want to go with the information I have. And in five years, I might not want to be a leadership coach anymore. Who knows? I might want to do something else. But right now, this is where my heart is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And one quote that somebody said, I think it went something like, you don't have to provide or be what others want you to be just because they want or need you for a specific thing. Like maybe they know you for something and they want that from you. It doesn't mean that you have to be that. It's true. A lot of people have stories and I think I did too growing up. The story that I had growing up was I needed to be able to support myself. I watched my parents divorce when I was three and I watched my mother struggle when divorce first happened because she was a stay-at-home mom and then she had to start working. And I remember that as a child. And then as I got older, she drilled into my head that I need to find a profession where I can make enough money to support myself and never be dependent on a man. And that drove a lot of my career was always pharmacists can pay for themselves. They make enough money they can set their own hours, like work odd shifts and things like that to make things happen in the household. But yeah, if I didn't have that narrative going on all my life, I'm curious of where I'd be right now. Yeah. If there are people listening that are interested in working with you, getting more information, what's the best way to reach you? So I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. So look me up on LinkedIn. I have a Facebook group, Lead with Empathy, not numbers. And for those of you who are trying to figure out how to build trust in your employees and start the line of communication and get them to trust you more, I have 101 icebreaker questions that you can use to get to know your team better. And I'd be happy to provide that for you. Yeah. And I've put all of those links down below as well for your convenience. And Jill, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story and your expertise. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Yeah, it's been great. And if you're listening and you want more information about our podcast and upcoming shows, you can visit acalltothrive.com. Thank you everyone for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you.